Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. I'd just like to say um, today is a day of justice. It's a day of justice for those brave men of the SAS who stood up and told the truth about who Ben Robert Smith is, a war criminal, a bully and a liar. Today is a day of some small justice for the Afghan victims of Ben Robert Smith. I think it was a great call back in June 2018 to run that story. Uh, 
I think it will go down in the history of the news business as one of the great calls. That's Nick McKenzie and Chris Masters speaking on the steps of the federal court last week. Just moments earlier, Justice Anthony Bozenko dismissed the defamation case brought against them and the news outlets that ran their stories about former SAS soldier Ben Roberts-Smith. The case was dismissed because Justice Bozenko found that the reporting of those journalists had established the truth of most of the accusations contained in their stories, including the most serious claims that Ben Roberts-Smith committed war crimes during his deployments in Afghanistan. It's just the latest skirmish in a war Robert Smith has been waging since 2016. But it was early in 2018 when the first series of articles was published in The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald and The Canberra Times, alleging war crimes had been committed in Afghanistan by a small group of rogue SAS soldiers led by one man. In the first dispatch, none of the alleged offenders were named, but the ringleader was referred to as Leonidas. It seemed a strangely flamboyant choice of pseudonym to me as a reader at the time, but I didn't know who the stories were about. Even though I was an occasional co-host of the daytime chat show called The Circle that was cancelled not long after a segment went to air in which Yumi Steins and George Negus made a few jokes at his expense. Luckily for me, I wasn't there that particular day, but you're about to hear that segment again now, and I'll say it's aged interestingly. You'll hear Georgie Coughlin introducing the conversation because she's very keen to talk about a large profile piece that appeared in the previous weekend's papers about Ben Robert Smith, who'd only very recently returned at that stage from his final deployment in Afghanistan. The piece had a few nice photos attached, including one of the man in question in speedos, standing up in a swimming pool in the sunshine. His impressive physique is on display, as are those very masculine tattoos. I'll let Georgie take it away. And the other voice you'll hear is comedian Fiona O'Loughlin rounding out the panel. God, I love Midnight Oil. You are watching The Circle this Tuesday morning. Hey, last January, an Aussie soldier was awarded the highest military decoration for valour, the Victoria Cross. SAS Corporal Ben Robert Smith is his name. There he is. Now, he leapt into the firing line against Taliban insurgents and his mission has been described as a 13-hour fight to the death. Wow. But he's also a hubby. Yep. And he's a dad, he's got twin daughters. And on the weekend, I was flicking through the papers and I stopped in my tracks. It's still with me on Tuesday morning. You're carrying it around, aren't you, Gorg? Get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we saw saw another side to Corporal Ben and I want to share it with our viewers at home. Have a look. Hello! (laughs) Look at that physique. (laughs) He's going to dive down to the bottom of the pool and see if his brain is there. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't matter if he hasn't doesn't have a brain. He has brains. He's SAS. Have you seen? He's SAS, and they described him in the paper on the weekend as as almost like an ultra fit killing machine. Can we just go back to that photo for a second? (laughs) Look how fit he is. SAS. Oh, stop it! (laughs) Verbal violence is about all I'm good at. I just think there's a lot of people, a lot of women in particular, that would have flicked through the papers on the weekend and went, whoa. It Hello. is pretty attractive, isn't it? Like, mm. handsome, Well, fit, and, muscly, and he can save my life any time. And saves lives. I'm anytime. sure he's a really good guy, War nothing hero. about poor old Ben, but that sort of bloke. And what if they're not up to it in the sack? <laughs> you can look like that. Are you intimating, George Negus, that he could, he could be a dud root? <laughs> A woman could get away with saying that, and I said, the fans would have gone berserk. I mean, 
George <laughs> Negus. It's reverse sexism. It's not he could. He's a, Speaking I, as a rapidly aging sex symbol, it's a reverse. He's fighting, <laughs> he's fighting the Taliban. He's got it all, in my opinion. He's got. I think he'd be highly intelligent. He looks, yeah. sounds like a wonderful father and dad. Bloodthirsty. And he is fit. Doesn't mean he's I not going to be. I had that doesn't mean you should say. By the way, uh, uh, what are you doing after the show? Um, I kill people for a living. I mean, <laughs> not a, no, no objective. Don't do that for a living. But, yeah. he doesn't, he's, he's fighting the Taliban. He's helping protect people over there that are getting killed by the Taliban. Oh, can I just change the subject? My friends Yumi and George received death threats about that segment for years, and their work opportunities were severely impacted. But I never made a connection between that and the stories I was reading about Leonidas in 2018. I certainly didn't know that Leonidas was a famous Spartan king or that Robert Smith has a huge tattoo of a Spartan helmet on his ribcage, or that he was infamous in certain circles for his fixation with the movie The 300, which is apparently about a battle during which, legend has it, just 300 Spartan soldiers held back the vast Persian army for three days in roughly 546 BC. Don't at me if I've got some details about that wrong because the battle itself isn't really important to this story. The thing is that lots of people around Australia did realise that the sensational stories in the newspapers were about Ben Robert Smith, who was by then quite a rich, famous and well-connected civilian. And he was working his way up the executive ranks of the media industry thanks to his close friendship with television and publishing tycoon Kerry Stokes. So when those journalists decided to run another series of stories about him in August of 2018, they made the decision to go ahead and name him. Ben Robert Smith responded by launching defamation proceedings against the three journalists and the media companies that own the publications in which the allegations appeared. His legal fees were being covered by his boss, Kerry Stokes, who was clearly just as emotionally invested in the fight. Stokes is a passionate supporter of the Australian Defence Force. In November of 2018, the Australian Federal Police launched an official investigation into allegations of war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. The investigation into the conduct of Ben Robert Smith specifically was said at the time to be one of the most secretive in the nation and the most serious inquiry ever conducted by Australian police into alleged war crimes. We're now five years down the track from the beginning of that defamation trial and the once invincible warrior is defeated. I don't know a lot about mythical battles, but watching Nick McKenzie speak on the steps of the federal court last week, I couldn't help but think of David and Goliath. Nick was pale, shaken and he looked like he wasn't quite sure if he was dreaming. Emily and I zoomed with Nick yesterday. He's at home with COVID now, would you believe? But he rallied to reflect with us on the last five years. Oh, it's been absolutely yeah, exhausting. I've never felt so tired. And I think what would surprise me was after the case verdict came out, I, I was expecting more of a sense. I mean, there's sheer relief, but I thought there'd be a bit more like internal peace. But it wasn't the case. It's, and I think it's just the, you've been in fight and flight mode for such a long time that you don't really know how to exit it. And so it's just about trying to calm down now. What keeps popping into my mind is had we lost, just imagine the blowback. You know, we were going to make history one way or the other. Uh, it was every chance we'd make history as, you know, the most rotten journalists in the, in the land. Uh, thankfully, uh, the truth won. Uh, but until the judge uttered those words, honestly, like, yeah, I was hyperventilating in court. I had no idea which way it was mm. going to go. I read on Twitter, Nick, you you tweeted that you're still getting death threats. So I'm like, imagine if it would have gone the other way. But I thought, I just kept thinking of 
how your mental health and Chris Masters' mental health was and just the tension, like I don't know how you managed to kind of live sort of normally through this whole time with that weighing on you. I think the truth is you don't live normally because it is weighing on you the whole time. And so your sleep's affected, your life's affected, your your family, friendships, etc. because there's always this stress. And I guess the best way to think of it is, you know, whenever certain people called, so whenever my lawyer, Dean Leverton, called, one of the key lawyers in the case, or his boss, Peter Bartlett, like I'd see their, their name on the phone and it, my immediate thing was to panic. And I'd always ask the first, rather than, g'day, how are you going? It's, what's wrong? What's gone wrong? Uh, and that's happened. I mean, we had, we're in that, that phase for five plus years. And lots of things did go wrong. I mean, behind the scenes, the amount of near catastrophic misses was, uh, was immense. I, I've just written a, a book and I, I'm, I really go into lots of those behind the scenes, ups and downs and, and you know, some of the terrifying moments and some of the, the sheer relief moments as well. I'm glad you said you've written a book because I was just about to say, you should write a book. You should, you know, and maybe that will help kind of exercise it all as well, get it out. I, I pre-ordered it, Nick. Oh, great. What's it called? It's called Crossing the Line, published by Hachette. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, my publisher, he really encouraged me to make myself a character and I was very reluctant to do that because I'm private and, I, you know, a journalist should be part of the story. But I begrudgingly agreed. But actually to, to write about how I was feeling and the journey that I was on was actually quite cathartic. Both me and Chris Masters have been through so much... I can tell you some of our key witnesses, the fight to get them into court was beyond belief. And if not for a few really, I mean, you know, COVID lockdowns um, have had a terrible impact on many people. But I can tell you this, the COVID delays caused, uh, in this case, saved our bacon because witnesses who weren't going to come over those many months of delays, their life circumstances changed. But even when they came, and our most important witness, I just still, to this day, the hairs in the back of my neck stick up thinking about it. Has he flown into, into the state? Yes, he's here. Okay, he's, he's in Sydney from Perth. Is he in the court precinct? Yep, he's here. Uh, he's been driven up through by the Defence Department in, through the underground car park. Yep, how's he feeling? Okay, looks okay. You see him walk into court, you know, for the first time, and we, I'm watching him, all our lawyers... You can tell how tense they are. There is not a sound in the court. And we don't know whether this guy is going to lie to protect Robert Smith, you know, his brother soldier. You know, these guys have been best mates. They've drunk together. They've fought together. Is he going to lie and and destroy our case or will he tell the truth? And you know, it, t- it takes 40 minutes of testimony leading through the, the part of a, of a key mission where it finally gets to the key part of it. And as he starts to to tell the truth about how a, a man was kicked off a cliff. I mean, that was, you know, I was literally, I was covered in sweat and it was the most electrifying uh, moment of the entire court case. I can't imagine the the emotion in hearing him start to say the words, the moment where you know he's going to do it, he's going he's gonna to tell the truth. And the way he spoke as, as well, this is a, a guy who had so much, sort of grace in the in the way he delivered his testimony and so much trauma at the same time. You could tell he was a man who was deeply traumatised, but when I say grace, he was telling the truth under the most difficult of circumstances and doing it slowly with deliberation. And the way that uh, a witness is led through court, yeah, it's very step-by-step. Step. Our barrister is, is just asking open questions, what happened next? What happened next? 
every lawyer tells a witness, you know, only answer the direct question and say as little as you can. And so he's he's giving the story in piecemeal little, tiny little bits, you know, that the prisoner, I saw him led to the edge of a cliff. What happened next? I saw Robert Smith take a few steps back. What happened next? You know, I saw Robert Smith lunge at him, you know, the, his boot go out into the man. What happened next? I watched this Afghan man catapult over a cliff, his face hits a rock on the way down, his, his teeth explode out of his mouth and he's lying on, I won't keep going, but you know, piece by piece this war crime is is unveiled and caught by a man who was the deputy commander of Robert Smith's patrol and who saw it all. And the man who was kicked off the cliff, by this stage you know a lot about this man, you know about his family, you know, he's a father, he's a, he's a husband, he's a brother. Well, first and foremost, and I was talking to a, a, a commando just the other day about this, you know, he, he said to me, I, I, I always try to remember that you know, Afghans are humans. And it sounds like an odd thing to say, because of course they are. But you know, war being what it is, soldiers become desensitised. And ultimately, I think as well, it's really hard for Australians, we live on the other side of the world, Afghanistan's a world away, to connect to someone who's died the most horrific and unjust death, but you know, who are they? What is their story? And it's why we, you know, it's why I went to Afghanistan is to meet Ali Jan's family. And it's why I said his name outside court. You know, his name was Ali Jan. He had a bunch of kids. He had a wife called Bibi. Yeah, you know, I, I met his kids and I can tell you, I mean, they, they look, they're just like my kids. They're running around giggling and, and except they, you know, they look a hell of a lot poorer and they, they live vastly harder lives. And the other difference, of course, is they don't have a dad. So you know, Ali Jan wasn't a. There was no. It wasn't like he was a Taliban who was taken prisoner and executed. That which is, of course, wrong. You cannot execute any prisoners for obvious reasons. But he was just a civilian. He was a father who went into town to get some shoes for his daughter, get some flour, and he was going to go back to his house. And he was picked up in an SAS raid, wrong place, wrong time. He smiled at Ben Robert Smith at the wrong time after he was detained. And probably, why did he smile? Well, nobody knows, but you know, he's a civilian. He's thinking, what the hell is going on here? And the questions that is being asked, are you Taliban? He's, he's laughing because it's ridiculous. His hands are, his hands are bound, he's handcuffed. It's that laugh, it's that smile, which according to the evidence we gained, prompts him to be kicked off the cliff by Robert Smith and then dra- dragged under a tree and, and executed. Yeah, the story of Ali Jan is so specific, isn't it? The thing about this one is that there is no grey area. It's it's not about um, confusion or the fog of war. Or it, it just seems sadistic. I don't know the word, but I was thinking about theatrical. Yeah, it's so it's very theatrical. Um, it goes back to that really strange element, doesn't it? That the movie, the Three Hundred. That's a really odd part of the story. How real is that? How big a part of the culture is that? Is that real? Is that true? That that, that is real, and it's been a big debate around uh, warrior culture and. People talk about it without actually knowing what it, what it means. And I've got an open mind. If you want to, if you believe that infusing a warrior culture might help your soldiers, if you're an officer, fire them up for battle. I can understand that as long as you're doing it in a way that's where everyone knows where the, what the laws of and rules of war are and the lines aren't going to be crossed. But there was this clique of guys in, in and that they were, again, the minority. Most other guys in the SES were saying, you know, we're the SAS. Don't be a dickhead. You're not. You're not some bloke in the movie. We. We're. We've got to follow the, the law. We're, um, but there was this clique of guys who they would watch this film three hundred over and over again. You know this idea we're Spartan warriors and and 
The film has a scene where someone is kicked off the edge of a precipice. After Ali Jan was kicked off the cliff by Robert Smith, there was people who you know, have a giggle and say, oh, they call him Spartacus, was a nickname that was given the Spartan kicker. And, and so what was happening? There was a poisoning of the culture in pockets, corners of the SAS. We know that now. These small number of guys, these guys in the minority, thought they were above the law. You know, they began to glorify and killing and they forgot what it was and what it is to be an Australian soldier, which is to fight hard but fight fair. Listen, the guys who testified against Robert Smith went, went to war. They served in Afghanistan. They understand what war is. They fought it. Some of them have fought. I mean, one of the guys who testified, 11 deployments. He was sent to Afghanistan 11 times. Now, these guys know what war is. And for them, war is hard. And war can be dirty. And war, one, one bloke said to me, you know, they needed tough blokes to do a tough job. And we did not hesitate, his words, to pull the hammer. Bad guy gets shot. Even if we're not really sure he's a bad guy, if, if there's enough under the rules of engagement, carrying a radio or, or he's running away, as a, like a, they call them squirters, um, it could be debated, but it was under our rules of engagement. We could engage and we would engage. But Ali Jan was a civilian who was handcuffed. The bloke had handcuffs on. He wasn't armed. How is it right for a soldier to kick a civilian off a cliff? How can we justify that by saying war is a dirty business? Understanding war is, is, a, is a tough business, is, you know, is a traumatic, shocking thing, helps us understand why somebody might commit a war crime. But we should still condemn the war crime, just as we condemn those Nazi soldiers who lined up civilians in, in World War II and, and shot them against the wall. We condemn those. As my colleague Chris Masters said, what, because you're wearing an Australian uniform, we don't condemn you. And I mean, the other critical thing to say is if you go and you kick a bloke off a cliff who's a civilian, I can tell you this, it is so counterproductive to your mission because everyone in the village who watches that, the next time Australian soldiers sweep through your village, God almighty, you're not going to be helping them. You're not going to be giving them any help or, or, or intelligence. And you know what? If you're a young man and you watch that happen, do you become radicalized yourself? I mean, they're creating Taliban by doing engaging in the acts that the Taliban themselves engage in. And uh, another guy on the SAS said to me, he said, Nick, we don't fight like the Taliban. That's what sets us apart. Yeah, they, they do, you know, there's beheading, they, they do the most appalling things. We, we get angry and we fire up and we go after them and, and yeah, absolutely we hunt them down. But we do so within you know, the laws and rules of war which we uphold. And that's what makes us different. And that's what makes you proud to be an Aussie soldier. I often think that. I often think that the legend of Ben Robert Smith must have radicalised many, many Afghans. It was very interesting to see the uh, the Afghan villagers testify in court. Again, it was, it was a really electrifying moment. And I really hope I do it. It's, it's hard to, to bring the drama of a courtroom into a book, which I, I really hope I, I do it justice. But it, it allowed me in writing it to, to try to Reimagine watching these guys testify, these Afghans, and one in particular, he, he, he doesn't know Ben Robert Smith's name, he's got no internet. So for him, though, it was the big man, with the big nose and the green eyes, in the way he described Ben Robert Smith's anger when he was interrogating Ali Jan, but also his sense of the, the loss and injustice of what he'd witnessed. And at the end of his, his testimony, Justice Basanko is wrapping it up and he's saying to the court, right, we've heard from, from this witness Thank you for your time, sir. Uh, it's been translated. You are now free to leave. He was testifying on video link. You're f free to leave the video link and, of course, do not discuss your testimony with other witnesses. 
very formal. And this bloke, he doesn't realise he's all wrapped up. And he's so angry at being attacked by Robert Smith's lawyers and this accusation that he's lying. He looks down the camera through the court, you know, this and this is getting beamed to the federal court. And he starts pointing and he says, you know, it is my culture, it is my honour, the Pashtun culture, we tell the truth. Uh, you know, I, I would never lie. And I would tell the truth whether you're Taliban or American or Australian, I will say what happened to Ali Jan. And for him, it was saying, this injustice has happened. And, I, and I'm not here. I don't like the Taliban. I don't like the Americans. I don't like this. I don't like it. And I'm a farmer. Men with guns, be they Taliban, ISIS, the US, they're all, it's all bad news to me. But I tell you what, you, you know, murder my uncle, kick him off a cliff, and I will speak the truth about that in any quarter of the globe. And it was a really impassioned speech. Now, it didn't count as evidence. But, geez, it, it, it was electrifying in and of itself. It's such an important story for so many reasons, for journalism, for um, justice. And I think it's made, I know for me, reflect on like what you said and a lot of us trying to reflect on, you know, these are people. And also I feel like it's been really tough for Australians to actually confront the fact that our war heroes are fallible. Like I think Australians fetishise war a lot. Oh, there's, there's no doubt that you know, the Anzac legend is, is a really part of the, the nation's identity and you know, special forces soldiers are lionised. But I can tell you this, like last night I was a special forces soldier who served multiple tours of Afghanistan, came over to my house with a bottle of whiskey to say thank you. And he's one of a number of special forces soldiers who stood up and told the truth over many hard years. And I, I say to people, this is actually a story about the good guys doing the right thing because Ben Robert Smith's in the vast minority. There's only him and his little band of rogues that, that went rogue. Most soldiers of the SAS and the commandos, they actually served with distinction and honourably, and we can be proud of them. But more than that, those witnesses in the SAS who came and told the truth and those persons in the SAS who became our confidential sources, you know, they displayed huge physical bravery by deploying to Afghanistan, putting their lives on the line day in, day out. And they displayed massive moral courage by coming and telling the truth in court, despite the code of the SAS being to keep everything in-house. It's not just the code. It's not just the, th the threats they were copying for Robert Smith. I can tell you the threats that he got up to, the, the way he went behind the scenes to, to intimidate witnesses is simply insane. But it's also what you talk of, this, this sort of lionised, revered status that we, we hold our SAS soldiers in, maybe rightly, but, you know, I, let, let's absolutely champion the SAS for all the wonderful things they do. But when those small number of people do the wrong thing, you know, the core value of the SAS is also truth in the field, honesty in reporting, which you know, they're, they're there to gain in accurate intelligence. They're there to, to report back to headquarters about what's going on on the ground. They're, they're also fighting for truth. You know, think, think about this. The SAS came to it didn't happen, but you know, to bring democracy to Afghanistan would have been the ideal. You know, a free press, a place where where truth and justice matters. That's what they're fighting for. Uh, yet what happened with Ben Robert Smith is he became opposed to the truth. It was about cover-ups. It was about a lack of justice. It was about murder. All the things that they were fighting against, Ben Robert Smith actually was was engaging in. Uh, and, and to come against that as members of the SAS, knowing that you know, everyone wanted to believe Robert Smith because he was a war hero, he was a big man, he was a scary man, and he would do anything within his power to shut people up, even back in Australia. For them to break through that and tell the truth was was simply immense. I mean, the other thing I thought about just this morning um, is Ali Jan, the, the bloke kicked off the cliff, 
he had a small little life and a small patch of dirt with his kids and, and his, his family and friends. It was a small and, and I'm sure meaningful life for him. But in some ways, his legacy and death, his name now rings out across the world as, you know, his death has, has it, could have been, it could have been meaningless and, you know, a life snuffed out and no one knew about it. But now we remember the man, we remember his family, and we remember that at the end of these executions are real people. And I think there's a real power and a real justice in remembering Ali Jan, saying his name and, and remembering his children's, and, and they're still out there suffering. Uh, but it gives a humanity to the victims um, and it reminds us why it's so important for those SAS soldiers to have done what they did, which is stand up and tell the truth and fight for what's right and moral and what it means. That's so true because that's exactly how he was treated by Ben Robert Smith. He was treated like he was nothing, like he was worthless. His life was worthless. His family was worthless. You and Chris Masters and everyone who's participated and all of the witnesses, you have completely subverted that. You have made his life very meaningful. And he will, in fact, have changed the culture of, of the Australian military in a way that no one else could have. <laughs> what, what, a, um, what an amazing sort of thing to, to think. And, and it's, you know, it's the power of truth. It's the power of, of justice. I also think of a, a really good friend of mine. His name is Dusty Miller. He was a medic and soldier. He served with the SES. So it wasn't very qualified, but, you know, soldier carried a gun, shot bad people in when he was working with the SES as a medic, an extremely fit, brave guy. And as a medic, an Afghan was put into his care, a father and a, a farmer had been shot in the back, um, but it was a survivable injury and, and Dusty was treating him. Another soldier, no, this is nothing to do with Robert Smith, but another bloke in the SES took this guy aside. The allegation is he was murdered, um, stomped on to death and, and certainly he was killed and, and there's a murder investigation underway. Now, you know, Dusty didn't, stop that happening at the time. And the guy was in his care. He's a medic. He's there to help. His failure to intervene then has, to this day, and I speak to Dusty every couple of weeks, haunts him to this day. I mean, he tried to speak up about it, but he was ignored internally. But he got back to Australia and his life spiraled out of control. I mean, he, he was so distressed while he was living this. You know, he's a very high-performing guy. He's actually an elite athlete. He was promoted up uh, in the army. He was um, you know, managing lots of people. And at night he'd come home and he'd, you know, sometimes he'd punch himself in the face. He'd have black eye, give himself black eyes. And the effect that for him as a bloke, recognising that the guy who was killed was a father like he was and the moral effect that had on Dusty's life to this day is immense. But also there is that healing of, of talking up and saying this is what happened and there should be accountability. And we got, we arranged for Dusty to meet the sons of... Uh, his name was Haji Sada, the guy who was murdered. And, and we, we couldn't get dusted to Afghanistan. It was too dangerous and COVID, et cetera. But we, we, um, there was a Zoom call, you know, and, and the sons, and I'll never forget it, Dusty apologised and Dusty was, was highly emotional and the sons were highly emotional. I was so worried they were going to attack him, you know, how dare you, you, you know, foreign soldier and, or they demand money or something. You know, they looked at him simply um, and they said, we forgive you. And they said to Dusty, you've been through enough, mate, you've been through enough and we forgive you. Because they could see how upset Dusty was. And I watched this happen and it was, for me, wow, like that was, <laughs> it was one of the most powerful and redemptive moments, I'm sure, in Dusty's life. And for me as a journalist to, to, to watch on was simply incredible. This concept of moral trauma is massive. And, you know, I think like, I'm only, um, I'm 42 years old. I didn't understand, mental health was never discussed when I grew up. It's only a recent thing. 
Uh, and only uh, only recently do I can I say openly, like you know, I've suffered from at times severe anxiety, but I didn't, I had no idea of that it was a thing. And then when I figured out it might be a thing, I didn't, as a bloke, I wouldn't be prepared to talk about it. Now imagine if you're a soldier in a you know in the most revered elite squad uh, unit, the SAS, and you have your own demons, and you're going to have you know as I was saying, my my stress doing a tough job is is one is one hundredth of what some of these guys have endured, and I can see the moral trauma that that the men of the SAS who witnessed war crimes, who participated in war crimes because they were forced to. This will haunt them for the rest of their days. And what, you know, a, a guy in the in the SAS, a patrol commander, a tough, a tough bastard, tough as nails, you know, known as a hard man. But he said to his guys, "Don't be that guy in the field of war, you know, who executes a civilian or a prisoner. Don't be that guy because it'll haunt you for the rest of your days. And you know, you'll you'll be a grandparent and you'll be crying into your whiskey at night. Don't be that guy." We'll be back with Nick McKenzie after the break. And there is a link in the show notes to this episode to help you pre-order his book, Crossing the Line, the story of the fight to expose one of the greatest military scandals in Australian history. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're joined today by journalist Nick McKenzie, who, with Chris Masters, wrote the groundbreaking series of stories about Ben Robert Smith in 2018. Chris Masters, of course, is the legendary investigative journalist and former host of Four Corners. A multiple Walkley Award winner and an inductee in the Australian Media Hall of Fame, Chris Masters' story The Moonlight State about endemic corruption in Jobiocchi Peterson's Queensland paved the way for the Fitzgerald Inquiry that brought down the government, ended the National Party's 30-year stranglehold on the state and saw the police commissioner jailed. Among other highlights in a career that's clearly still producing highlights, Masters exposed the French government's involvement in the sinking of the Greenpeace ship The Rainbow Warrior in Auckland Harbour, and confirmed the existence of the Calabrian Mafia, or the Drangheta, in Australia. A bit later in the show, we'll hear from Nick about his experience working with Chris Masters, but first we must travel back to the increasingly dark deployments of the Australian SAS in Afghanistan between 2009 and 2012. For a little more context, 
I'm sure you remember David Savage, who we spoke to in episode 302 of Australian True Crime, about the day he was targeted by the Taliban, who sent a 12-year-old suicide bomber to try and kill him. Miraculously, he survived that attack. The reason I bring it up is that that happened in 2012 in Erzgan province. The big military base in Erzgan province was Taran Kaut, and that's where the Australian SAS was based. It was also the location of the infamous unofficial bar, The Fat Lady's Arms, which was the backdrop for so many of those disturbing celebratory photos that have come back to haunt Ben Robert Smith. Photos of raucous dress-up parties, where among the AFL jerseys and VB t-shirts, we can see a soldier with a Ku Klux Klan costume, and it's not a bedsheet, it's been carefully and professionally monogrammed with the words Red Dragon, KKK. His look is completed with a burning cross and a noose. There are many other photos of soldiers drinking beer from the prosthetic leg of a man they killed. In one of them, Ben Robert Smith stands behind the drinker, smiling broadly for the camera and pumping the air victoriously. These images were stored on a series of USB sticks along with videos and classified documents and placed in a children's lunchbox by Ben Robert Smith, who then buried them in his backyard. He did that in 2016, two years before the stories written by Nick McKenzie and Chris Masters were published. Why? Because that's when the Australian Defence Force secretly launched its own inquiry into allegations of war crimes in Afghanistan. That inquiry would become known as the Brereton Report, and the man leading it, Inspector General Paul Brereton, had ordered that the SAS soldiers who'd been based at Tarrant so instead, the lunchbox in the backyard. That's according to an affidavit filed as part of the defamation proceedings on behalf of Robert Smith's former wife, Emma Roberts. She went on to say that she and a friend subsequently dug up the aforementioned lunchbox and handed it and its contents over to investigators in 2020. For his part, Ben Robert Smith denies that he buried the USBs. He says they were kept in a desk drawer in the home that he shared with his former wife. He conceded in court that he knew that at least some of the material on the USBs was classified secret and that he understood he wasn't authorised to keep secret classified information at his home, but he said he didn't know it was a criminal offence. He's believed to be one of three former SAS soldiers who've emerged as the main focus of the Office of the Special Investigator's Analysts. The Office of the Special Investigator was established in 2021 in the wake of the Brereton Report to examine allegations of war crimes committed by members of the Australian Defence Force in Afghanistan. If Robert Smith hadn't blooded young soldiers, we probably never would have found out about what had happened in Afghanistan under his watch, uh, what he did, and we never would have won our case. And so just to explain what blooding is, it's, it's getting a, a young soldier to get their first kill by executing a prisoner or civilian and, you know, we came to realise what it was was about making sure you had dirt on someone, all right? You're going to run with Robert Smith's patrol. It's a dirty patrol. We're going to get blood on your hands. And so you'll never, ever be out a rat on any of us. And uh, a number of people, we believe, were, were blooded. And I, I know some of our witnesses were so horrified at that. In fact, I know some of the witnesses, some of the whistleblowers said, now, I don't care, and this is the tough, I mean, I don't agree with this, but I certainly heard it. I don't care if Ben Robert Smith executes a Taliban prisoner, even if it's against the rules of war, the laws of war. I don't care if he does that. The Taliban, they're bad. Now, I totally disagree with that view, but that's, I've heard this said. But if you want to do that, do it yourself. Don't get some young bloke on his first tour 
to do it because you're going to ruin this guy's life. To me, it is a next level of, of psychopathy to insist upon destroying young blokes. And that's what I mean. That's, that's, that's bullying. You know, just the fact that he was so high profile, Ben Robert Smith, I was thinking, I was talking to my husband about it, you know, there's a lot of Victoria Cross medal recipients who just keep a low profile. They don't, I mean, it could be a burden to get a Victoria Cross, even though it's this big thing, but he was so high profile. That's perverse too, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. To know who you really are and then to seek out the fame, there's a level of perversion to that, don't you think, Nick? Oh, it's, it's, I actually find it pretty terrifying. He's a, the psychopathy of Ben Robert Smith. People in the military say that he's like, he's like the Lance Armstrong of the military. You know, a bloke who, having been caught lying, doubles down in his lies over and over and over again, whatever the human cost and the human wreckage he leaves in his wake. But as dark as this story is, I mean, I want to keep saying this, is, you know, I think there has been redemption because soldiers confronted that darkness and, and they, they told the truth and they said, this is not what it is to be an Australian. It's not what it is to be in the SAS. And as, no matter how rich and powerful and well-backed Ben Robert Smith is, and, and no matter the threats he's, he's sending to me and my family, I will stand up and tell the truth because that's the way to restore the honour of the regiment. He's made it clear that all of the things that he's demanded from others, the loyalty, the brotherhood, he has shown none of those things for the other men. But if you're one of his witnesses, God almighty, you'd be pissed off. Like There's three blokes, um, person five, person 11, person 35, but certainly person five, person 11, they're both co-accused. Person 11 participated in the execution of Ali Jan. Uh, person 5 oversaw t- uh, two executions at, at uh, Whiskey 108 in Easter Sunday 2009. Those guys have been dragged to court by Robert Smith to get, to have his back. They have been found to have been perjurers themselves. They've given evidence now on oath. They've lied on oath about their own involvement in war crimes, which are subject of active investigation. This is a disastrous outcome. For, there was nothing in it for them except this. Ben Robert Smith was paying their um, their legal fees and the judge said that stunk to high heaven. To, that wasn't the, the legal term. <laughs> but basically uh, they, were, they were bonded to him through this for the financial debt of obligation and that might partly explain, you know, why they lied. Uh, but the, you know, the arrogance of some of these witnesses as well, like it's so colourful. Person five lies through his teeth, leaves the court, gets blind drunk, I think with Ben Robert Smith that night at a, at a pub, he goes back to his hotel. The AFP and the Office of Special Investigations is waiting with a warrant to seize his mobile phone because he's a war crime suspect. And so arrogant is he, he blows up at them and uh, there's a bit of an argy-bargy, refuses to give them the phone. He's charged with hindering a, a Commonwealth investigation. Now, those charges were dealt with through the courts. It was a relatively minor matter. You know, fancy giving evidence in the trial of the cent- defo trial of the century and then behaving like that hours later. Person 35... I, mean, I was still, he, the night before he testifies, or thereabouts, the hours before he testifies, he's out there putting on social media posts, calling our lawyer. I think it's, it's something like, if you're being questioned by a, some, excuse my, F-tard lawyer using a snake logic who's got his mouth wrapped right around his law lecturer's spotty dick, you, you know where he will be when the war comes. He'll be face down in the mud, blah, blah, blah. So this witness, Ben Robert Smith's witness, likes this post hours before he's to testify. Clearly, it's a swipe, a, a pretty nasty, aggressive swipe at the barrister, our barrister, is going to be questioning him. Now, we're having a look at his social media. We, we look at, oh my God, he's done this. The very first question he's asked, 
did you like this or, or publish this? And what, what, is it, what does it mean? And you could just see the, the blood drain out of him, out of his face in the stand. You know, what is it about? For me, it's just about th- these guys have no respect for the law, this small band of people in Afghanistan, but also no respect for the law in Australia. I mean, there is a meaning to your oath that you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. And they just they, they laughed at that. They were caught out and their arrogance um, has been exposed for, for all that it is. The PTSD that you now live with, I mean, what sort of insight has this process, the reporting of it, the men that you've gotten to know and their partners, the men and women, the families you've gotten to know both here and in Afghanistan, and now the process that you've been through, what sort of insight has it given you? I guess as you asked that, I could actually feel like uh, myself um, get very emotional. Mm. Uh, You know, none of my experience is anywhere near the trauma suffered by those who've served and gone to war and then have had to have deal with this in back in court. You know, one a soldier in medical I became really close to, served with the SAS. As a medic and testified in court, you know, I'd always found him to be like, he was a happy-go-lucky sort of guy in the many years I got to know him. He was always, I never knew that he had these demons, except when he got to court. He, he was ripped apart by Ben Robert Smith's barristers and they got his psychological records and, yeah, he suffered from, from some mental health issues like many people do, like I do. Uh, but I'd never known this and he'd, he'd always hidden it to me. But they've got his records and they're pushing him on, oh, well, you've been to a psych and what's it like seeing dead people in Afghanistan? Can't be nice, can it? And, and that was tr- they're trying to say, oh, you're not, you're not reliable because you've, you've have mental health stress. Now, that attack went nowhere. The judge found this witness to be absolutely reliable. But I can tell you this, after he gave evidence, he went into the adjoining room with, with our, our counsel and, you know, he, he broke down and he called me that night and he was, he was crying on the phone. And this is a bloke, one of the bravest people I know, and, and that's what the experience did to him, you know, a, a battle-hardened veteran. And I I will never forgive Ben Robert Smith for instructing his barristers and solicitors to attack. He instructed his barristers to attack these guys in the SAS in the witness box, knowing that the attacks were lies, knowing that that he was lying. So Robert Smith knew, and his barristers were simply acting on instructions, but Robert Smith knew these guys were telling the truth. And they were called mentally unwell. They were called cowards. Uh, you know, they were derided, they were belittled, and they were made to relive terrible trauma. And that's a really, really unpleasant part of this case. The other person to acknowledge, well, listen, all the witnesses copped it. You know, the cross-examination's a horrible place to be. They all copped it. A person called Person 17, a victim of, of domestic violence. Now, a core part of um, her allegation, what we reported, that she was punched was was not found to be true according to the evidence given to the court. It didn't reach the evidential standard, but it was found to be contextually true. So Robert Smith's case that it, that it wasn't true was thrown out. The judge, however, also found that person 17 you know, was subject to coercive, controlling, intimidating and appalling behaviour by Robert Smith. Threats, violent threats, you know, burn down your house sort of threats. She withstood absolute barrage in the box, person 17, with, with courage. You know, and, and that that's to be remembered as well. Ben Robert Smith's ex-wife took the box and was absolutely hammered and withstood it with grace and courage. You know, everyone was put through the ringer here. So you talk about my trauma, it pales in insignificance compared to what all these witnesses endured. 
Because they copped it from the media as well, didn't they? Because there was a concerted effort funded by... By a, a media conglomerate. Yeah, like to discredit everyone in this and probably yourselves and Chris Masters, I imagine too. But that would have been doubly hard because it's not just in the courtroom. Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, we were smeared in the press over and over and over again, Chris and I. You know, at least the SES guys in Person 17 had their names suppressed, so nobody knows who they are. Of course, their mates know who they are. The, the smearing in tabloid tactics, like I, I still just shake my head. There's nothing more low in my mind than another Juno who works with a defamation barrister or lawyer or, def- or someone who's, and I'm not, not saying that Ben Robert Smith's lawyers did this, but just the general principle of hypothetically of anyone working t- against another reporter who's being sued to sort of smear them to help the person suing them. I mean, fancy doing that if you if you, if you yourself call yourself a journalist. In one case, though, there was a, a tabloid newspaper which attacked one of our key witnesses, a guy called John McLeod. Now, John McLeod's an ex-policeman who became a private investigator and worked for Robert Smith. And Robert Smith got him to do dirty acts, basically. And, and this bloke, John McLeod, was unwitting. He didn't realise... What he was being so, for instance, Robert Smith got him to post some letters. He said, oh, mate, too busy. Run these to the post office where you are. McLeod does not know what's in the letters. They're threats. They're threats to one of our witnesses saying, basically, you shut up or we're going to bring you down and I'll come for you. And in fact, the, the witness actually said in court when he got those letters, he not only feared for himself, he feared for his family's safety. Now, McLeod posts the letters, doesn't know what's in them. He only learns what's in them later. And he comes to court and testifies honestly about what's happened, and the judge has found that you know, the letters were threatening and Robert Smith organised it and directed McLeod to post them. Now, prior to giving evidence, McLeod was followed by pap- paparazzi. He was photographed. He was smeared in a major tabloid paper, a false allegation that he'd given us information, which he had not, uh, uh, was, was made. Uh, an intimation that he was paid was made in the paper, totally false. So basically a whole pack of lies put about this bloke and why? It was, a, it was about intimidating him not to give evidence. Now, Ben Robert Smith was, was, I've got no doubt behind it, intimidating this bloke. Yeah, well, if you're going to give evidence, we'll smear you in the papers. And it was a really ugly part of this case that went on behind the scenes. The women involved in Ben Robert Smith's life, his ex-wife and also the witness 17. That's right, yeah. Like, it's dangerous. Like, what person 17 went through. I read that and I I don't know if women approach this story differently to men. I I don't know. It'd be interesting to know your views about that in the correspondence or the the shit that you get about it. But I just thought, yeah, I totally believe this about him. Yeah. And and the women who were called to the stand, person 17, Emma Roberts, you know, the cross-examination was ferocious and traumatic. The judge has accepted her testimony I guess reading the judgment made me, you know, she, there, there was a time she was woven into the Ben Robert Smith campaign to... Originally, yeah, they were still together, right? Or they got back together the, or something? But the, the bravery in, I guess, setting herself free from him and standing up in court, we subpoenaed her. She didn't want to be in court for obvious reasons, but we forced her to court. You know, it's a really tough decision when you force somebody to court. In, in the end, we, we subpoenaed all our witnesses. No one wanted to be there, but, you know, to, to go to court, to hold your chin up high... And to, to testify, now her, her name wasn't suppressed. She was photographed. I just, uh, Robert Smith arranged for paparazzi to take his photo when he was literally like had his shirt off running up and down some steps in Sydney. And, you know, the article was gushing, what a legend. This is, this is at the start of the trial. 
it was a total stitch up to make him look amazing. And the, the same paparazzi photographed Emma Roberts taking the bins out. They tried to smear her, but she's never spoken that publicly. And um, she te- kept her grace and composure in the box. Uh, and she told the truth. And I thought she, she handled herself with absolute grace. And, you know, when you read the judgment, I mean, ultimately, so much of what Person 17 was accepted by the, the judge. Nothing of what Ben Robert Smith said was accepted. Um, he, he was found to be an absolute abject liar. It's very difficult in instances of domestic violence when it happens behind closed doors. And in this case, the judge found that, you know, well, the allegation of the punch, that she was punched contextually true, but not, there wasn't reliable evidence to, to find it true, but contextually true. And it was then, you know, his, his claim that he'd been defamed was thrown out. But the judge, and lots of people have missed this, have also found that Person 17 absolutely truthfully testified and indeed that she had been subject to this abhorrent campaign of intimidation, coercion and control. And so, you know, what she's endured is, is tremendous. And I think you know, in the feedback I've got after the stories, the war crimes dominated the, the case. Lots of people are, are, are proud of the soldiers who testified. There's lots of people who are very angry at me still. Well, I'm still copying lots of death threats for daring to question Robert Smith even now. But then it's, it's you know, largely lots of women who have emailed me and, and contacted about Person 17 to say she's brave, she's courageous, and we acknowledge her truth-telling. The fact that women get that and um, and perhaps men are more interested in the field of war, whatever the case, I'm not sure. But you know, lots of people have been through hell. And I just look at it, it's, it's the roadkill in, that Robert Smith has left in his wake. Never has one man caused so much destruction uh, in Afghanistan, in Australia, uh, and all because he wanted, you know, he wanted to be the man, um, wanted to be the biggest, baddest, most famous, wealthiest soldier and business person. Let's not forget he was working for, for Seven West Media as a senior executive going around. Yeah. And he almost made it. He almost pulled it off. Look, the interesting part is this was a defamation case. You know, we have to remember that. It wasn't a criminal case. Why did he bring this case about? I mean, it was always going to bring out all of these accusations and just publicise them. And most of the Australian public didn't read your story and didn't read your stories. Most of the Australian public, at at the very least, even if they were aware of your stories and and the accusations in the beginning, would have, you know, I think um, held him in such high regard that they might have thought, I don't know if it's true or not. But this case was always going to put a lot of pressure on Ben Robert Smith. So I've never understood why why this case ever happened, really. Do you think that he thought if he could win this case, it would make cr- criminal prosecution less likely? The question you ask is like the one of the questions. Like I still ask myself the same thing every day. Had he not sued us, our stories about him would have been a footnote that no one would have ever remembered. And, you know, in, in writing the book about him, you know, I did a lot of research, spoke to a lot of people very close to him and tried to, uh, what possesses a man when they know they've committed... Uh, shocking executions to go to court it's like the most insane poker play you could imagine you know the, the biggest bluff someone who's observed robert smith really closely the two comments you know and I, I tease out both of them as i sort of draw the character profile of him in the in the book number one is a simple thing they said robert smith's always been a winner uh, son of a supreme court judge best private schools joins the sas receives the victoria cross medal for gallantry becomes a national icon becomes extremely wealthy, has the backing of Kerry Stokes. He was all, no one had ever said no to him. So the idea that a couple of, you know, 
shitbag journos would dare challenge him and then the court system was not going to hold him to account. He was Ben Robert Smith. So this idea that he was above reproach, always a winner, and then what does that sort of you know, point to is this, this idea of narcissism. The other critical thing I, I learned that he said, he said, and this is well back, I'm going to be famous or infamous. And it was as if he didn't mind being either. And again, this is narcissism. This is someone who wants to be spoken about almost regardless of, of what's being said. So I, I think it was this idea that he could actually, with by sheer force of personality, create this court storm and stare everybody down. No one would have the guts to take him on. He'd always won. He was going to win again. I mean, the arrogance in doing what he's done and ultimately, I mean, the other point you make, had he won the case, would he have been prosecuted? No. I think there's no way our prosecutors in Australia would have ever taken him on had he defeated us. The victory would have been so huge and it would have been a real warning to prosecutors in the criminal arena. This guy's won once in the civil courts, you know, go after him at your peril. Now think about this. All this evidence that was hidden in the various war crimes inquiries, which prosecutors, which investigators can't get at because it's it's all behind closed doors. The, the Brereton inquiry used special powers to get inf- information about Robert Smith. Those powers mean that information sometimes can never be used. Robert Smith's forced it all into court on the public record on oath. He's got himself and his co-accused because his little band of brothers who lied for him are co-accused in some cases. He got them all to commit to detailed stories on oath and he forced all our witnesses into the stand on oath have now given visceral, in-detail accounts of his war crimes, that evidence is now where it once was hidden in the public domain where it can be used to inform future investigations. What an own goal. Like, I think, you know, we'll, we'll read about this, lawyers will read about this in 100 years about how to advise your client about protecting their interests. But I think when it comes to Robert Smith, you can't protect the man against himself. Do you think he'll appeal? I, I don't know whether he'll appeal or, or not, um, you know, we would welcome an appeal. Uh, a, a superior court could weigh the facts that Justice Pasanko has weighed and, and would, would reach its own conclusion. Um, that's justice working and that's the, that's the system. Ben Robert Smith won't give up. You know, we know this about him. He is aggressive. He will bend the law to his will. He will do whatever it takes to get away with his crimes and he'll blame everyone but himself. And I'm sure he's doing that right now. I'm sure he hasn't given a moment's thought to any of the soldiers he put through the ringer who testified against him. I'm sure he hasn't given a moment's thought to those young blokes he blooded. And I'm sure he doesn't give two hoots about Ali Jan's kids. And that's all you need to know about Ben Robert Smith. This is like probably the most massive story of your career. It's fearless and it's what it should be. And it would have been pretty great, I think, to work with Chris Masters, who I imagine was a good support too. Yeah, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a living legend of journalism. Um, He's 74 now, I think, and is yeah, he? he's still... Um, he's a legend. I was, he was my hero. And before, like, I was his researcher back in 2004 at Four Corners. And I, I remember I'd, I'd watch, um, I'd re-watch his programs, you know, and just think, like, he was the guy I wanted to be. Uh, his stories were just amazing. And then you, know, you get to know him and you realise he's got a sense of humour, he likes a fart joke, he doesn't take <laughs> himself too seriously. Um and uh, he's, you know, he can be a curmudgeonly old bastard as well, uh, but deep down there's a real soft side to him and, uh, and to see him 
the soldiers look at him somewhere between a, a really good mate and a father. And it's a, it's a pretty special bond he's got with lots of people in the military. And for him, his, his connections to the military, you know, he's, he's reported on military affairs far longer than I. His connection to people up and down the chain of command uh, is deep and abiding. And the fact that he's prepared to take on this unpopular story and impact those friendships says everything you need to know about Chris's integrity. What keeps me sane is um, you know, beyond family and my my. my my awesome kids, et cetera, is I love my job and I believe in it. I believe in journalism and I believe in helping people and I believe in the power of the truth. And, and there's this horrible saying, you know, you're only as good as your last story, but literally, you know, we, we were in Robert Smith and, and my God, I walked into the newsroom and that was so, so awesome. I almost like, there was a round of applause and people, I was, it wasn't, oh. no, there's no triumphalism, but it was relief. And then it's like, right, <laughs> oh, yeah. back, back to work. Uh, you know, I believe in in what I do, and that's when you have a job where you can sort of lie straight in bed at night. So it means it's a tough job; it's a crappy job, and there's a lot going wrong with journalism in this country. But you know, if you can do a bit of good along the way, just a little bit, then that really helps helps you um, counterbalance the stress that comes with the job as well. Thank you to our guest today, journalist Nick McKenzie. And don't forget to check out the show notes to this episode and our social media to pre-order your copy of his book, Crossing the Line, the story of the fight to expose one of the greatest military scandals in Australian history. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we 
love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.